intense judgment for ourselves. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? It seems like this isn't a problem for anyone else. And right when we get stuck in those really intense emotions, it makes it hard for us to objectively look at the situation and find a solution and take action. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey, podcast listeners, let me ask you if you can relate to this experience. You finally have a minute to pause and relax. You're holding your cup of just heated up coffee for the fourth time this morning, and you look around your house, and suddenly you feel overwhelmed. Relax? How can you relax when the mess keeps triggering you? And I get it, which is why I am so excited to share today's episode with you. I am sitting with Katie Wells. She is a decluttering expert, podcaster, and simplifier, a boy mom, and she knows how to help you declutter your home and simplify your life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Katie. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I am so excited to sit with you and dive into this topic. Me too. I have been counting down the days for this conversation. I hope it brings your listeners and you some empowerment, maybe some courage to declutter a little bit. And I'm excited. And I'm actually just noticing behind you, it's just really clean and clear looking. And then I'm thinking of where did I hide all of the stuff in my office here? So it's not showing up on the video. Before we get started, Katie, I always like to ask my guests, tell us three things that make you, you. Well, I would say my declutter journey is a big one. Um, you know, I like to start off by telling listeners, I wasn't always... <laughs> A declutter expert. You know, some people are just born and bred, and you might have friends like this where they're just like super organized. They decluttering an organization comes super naturally to them, and that was not me. I had to go through a really painful journey to learn the ins and outs and really practical strategies to do it as a busy mom. Um, at the time when I really got into my declutter journey, I was a busy uh, working out of the working out of the home full time and two kids under two just a tough season in life I know you can relate and a lot of your listeners can too so that's the first one because now that I'm on the other side of clutter and chaos in my home I just feel like in a in a big sense I have my life back and my motherhood back motherhood obviously is up on that list uh, that's just been an incredible journey extremely challenging and uh, but you know a huge blessing as well. And then I, I think probably my love for holistic health and wellness, that's a big background of both mine and my husband. And I feel like that's always going to be a part of me. And it really helps. It really influences a lot of the decisions I make day to day for me and my family as well. 
I love that. And I think also too, when we think about who we are as a person, how we interact in our environment is so important, right? That is part of our holistic health that we can't just look at one piece without looking at so many other pieces within the environment that we live in. Okay. So Katie, I think so many listeners can relate to this idea of mess being triggering. So let's just start there. Why is why is mess so triggering for people? Well, I think just, you know, superficial answer would be it's just overwhelming, right? Mess usually just isn't like, oh, a little pile here and a little pile there. It's like, it looks like a tornado ripped through the house. At least that's how it looked in my home. And, you know, that mess be beyond just trying to keep up with it and it feel overwhelming. I think it can be so loaded emotionally, especially for women and moms, because generations before us prided themselves, right? They literally, it was a full-time job to maintain the house while the husband worked or, and the kids were at school. And now, gosh, so many things are different in this day and age. And so I feel like the expectation is still, in a lot of cultures, the woman's job, even though it's not really talked about, like, it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's just assumed. And when we, the, we have these expectations that aren't met, right. That creates all this room. And as you know, for these negative mo- emotions to faster resentment, why is my family so messy? Why am I in, ch- why am I in charge of this? I feel like the stuff manager. I feel like all I do is chase my kids around the house and pick up after them instead of actually playing with them. And shame. Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Yes. Yes. Right. That shows up so much in the, in my community. I'm sure it shows up in yours in the sense Mm -hmm. of, you know, and that resentment piece really speaks to what, what is it that I'm experiencing inside and not being able to communicate it to someone else. And there's often these unmet needs and we're not releasing something. And you're absolutely right. We hold these narratives, right? Of, of, Mm -hmm. we must do it all. This has to be all on us. And sorry, I interrupted you. You said shame, the shame around another big one, what's happening in the home. Yes. Yeah. Why? I used to feel very much like this and it, it wasn't really until I took a second to dial into those inner narratives to identify why am I feeling so ashamed, right? If, if a girlfriend wants to come over and stop by, right, you get that call, Hey, I'm going to stop over in five minutes. And you look around your house and you hang up the phone. You're like, Oh my gosh, I got to throw everything behind a closed door and pretend to have my stuff together. And so on in the same breath now, I'm like, why can't we normalize mess a little bit? Like what's wrong? What's so wrong and like taboo about having a mess? What's so wrong with having a home that looks like kids live in it because kids do live in it. And I think that's kind of my take on it as I've evolved through my simplifying journey, but shame's a big one and judgment, right? Just this intense judgment for ourselves. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? It seems like this isn't a problem for anyone, anyone else. And right when we get stuck in those really intense emotions, it makes it hard for us to objectively look at the situation and find a solution and take action. And I remember I kind of rooted in those negative emotions for years. And I remember resenting literally my son was one year old. That's when we had his one year birthday party. He probably got 24 gifts. And I thought, I have no more room for stuff. I can't even imagine having a second kid in this home. And I started to resent my one-year-old, Dr. Tracy, because of all the stuff. And I had all this anxiety around picking up after a one-year-old. I'm like, you know, you can see the future. This is going to get probably worse with more kids. And as he grows up and more toys come in. And so sometimes it's hard to be able to 
look at it from a 30,000 foot view and go, what can I change? <laughs> and there are lots of things. So that's the good news. <laughs> that's I, the good I, news. I really appreciate you saying that, Katie, because I get the DMs from that as well and the comments of, I resent my child and mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good. And we no. know that whenever there is shame that shows up, it's so good to be able to just vocalize something and to say it out loud and how important yeah. it is to normalize that. Yeah, you know, there are these really difficult emotions that show up in the context of living with our children. I can totally Mm -hmm. relate to that tornado experience. And on Saturdays, it's kind of, well, on the weekends, my kids are now in school, but even before then, when I was home with them, it would be that like, we're moving from this over here and then on the coffee table in here and then the kitchen table. And it's the, do I let you play with Play-Doh by yourself? And I get 10 (laughs) minutes just to breathe, numb out and scroll on my phone. But then I'm cleaning up what happened underneath the table for 20 minutes. And then it just trickles into every single room. And it's just so overwhelming. I I like that you pointed out here this shame and self-judgment piece because that leads us into what's the interaction that we tend to do with our loved ones. And I'm I'm wondering if you're familiar with this one. This is where I used to go. My narrative in my mind would be a, I'm the only one that has to do this. And my partner never helps out and I'm all on my own and nobody else cares. Yes. Yes. I felt that so hard. In fact, when I met my husband, when we were dating, he's like, you speak a lot in absolutes. Like anytime I would get frustrated, it was you always, or you never. And he's like, let's take a minute and think about that, Katie. And I was like, okay, (laughs) this is a good teaching lesson. And I remember, but anytime I feel like, just like you said earlier, that resentment grows and festers and you don't know maybe how to vocalize it. You don't know it's there, right? When it does come out, usually it's you're triggered. You step on a Lego, right? There's one you clean, you spend six hours cleaning on your Saturday. And then 10 minutes later, there's another mess and you just write that trigger. And it's you always, you never. And, um, I really had to learn to celebrate all the things that were getting done, celebrate the things that my, I was proud of my kids for doing. And also remember, I have to teach consistently and calmly and clearly remind my kids and my partner, these life skills Resentment is such a common experience that shows up in my community and from the women that I work with. And we know that resentment is truly about not sharing our feelings and needs with our partners. I wonder if you can relate to that experience of waking up one day and looking at your partner and thinking, how did we get here? And why do we feel so far apart? This is where my online program might be able to help you. In Be Connected, I teach you how to go from disconnected and overwhelmed to being able to communicate your feelings and needs, offload the resentment, and improve your intimacy. The people in my membership tell me that they feel more connected to their partner. They look forward to seeing their partner and spending time with them. And they also feel like they have the tools to resolve the repeating arguments that keep showing up. If you're looking for more support in your relationship, or maybe you just want to elevate your communication skills and learn more about who you are as a person and who your partner is, head over to drtracyd.com to learn more. I tell my kids all the time, they're now five and seven, we are a team unit. This is not mommy cleans up after you and you are responsible for your things, right? So it's like, mommy, where's my library book? And I say, 
I can help you look for it, but, but I'm not going to go find it for you. And I'm like, it's never, I just think my take is I didn't know how to do laundry or clean up until I was like 20, Dr. Tracy. So this is just a life skill. I just want to pass on to my kids and mm-hmm. just so I don't have to have that resentment. And I don't want to have to go through motherhood feeling that way. And some days, yeah, I still get frustrated. You know, I, my, my take is I strive for a home that's easy to tidy, not always tidy, right? When you remove that perfection, it's like, oh yeah, I can do this, right? My home looked really messy when my kids were here this weekend because we were playing inside, having fun. And then, right, we did a daily reset. Everyone, we put on a few few songs that they love to listen to. We made it fun. We made it a team effort versus you can't come out of this room until it's clean or, you know, something like that. It and it's just to your parenting been, approach yes. in, that, in the sense of yeah. you coming, coming to your children as well and being able to say one of our family values. That's the conversation that we often yeah. have at the table as well as mm-hmm. one of our values is about being able to work together and that this is our home and we all get choices here. And that can be really empowering for children to feel that. And also, I think the struggle for us is that we we hope that they will just be good obedient children and say oh yes mommy you're right I will go pick up all of uh, the calico critters are out right now on my daughter's floor yes. I, I'm so excited to go pick them up and clean up <laughs> and that's not the way it is right yeah yeah it's not it's not for a lot of people but one thing we can do to help pick up is right. If you're overwhelmed with toy mess, your kids are probably overwhelmed with toy mess. And so they're less likely to get on board with picking up. So a super simple thing to do is just declutter the superficial clutter. As far as toys goes, broken, excess, unused, unwanted, you know, little knickknacks that come in from doctors and party favors and all that stuff. And then try toy rotation. It doesn't have to be this big, huge project or stressor. It should ideally minimize stress to reduce toys and do this toy rotation, but you just pull some of the toys out, put them out of sight, out of mind for a week or two at a time, bring them back in. And that way it's a great way to simplify the toys without just like donating all of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's something that we get stuck in. And I'm wondering the listeners, if they can relate to this is that we come to this idea and then we try to do the idea perfectly. So like toy rotation, I remember seeing these perfect images on Instagram and thinking, oh, that's what toy rotation is supposed to look like. And I don't have the time or the capacity to do that. And what I've ended up doing more of is just being able to say, okay, these two trucks, I'm going to put them in the basement closet for a while and then I'll bring it back out. And it, it works in some way. So it's like, let's drop the perfectionism. Absolutely. Find what's going to be workable for us. Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. You talk about this experience of your stuff owning you. And realizing one day that you were two different people, you you described, I think on your Instagram space and also on your podcast, this person feeling happier and free outside. And then inside you're this person feeling weighed down inside their home. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. I actually just got teared up when you said that. Cause I just remember that was such right. Those intense feelings you have. And that's the judgment, the shame, all those things like just came up for me. I feel like I'm in, I'm in your office with you. <laughs> you are. You're in my office. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Your virtual office. Right. But oh, okay. Yeah. I think what that says mm-hmm. is like, it's like, yeah, I see you. I totally see that. I totally yeah. connect to that feeling. And just, you know, I think that piece here is that we want to come home and feel excited to be home. And I, I will say that it's hard when, when I'm, I'm in my office here, it's very clean and organized. And then I go home 
and people are attached to me and that's overwhelming. And then I'm stepping on the Lego blocks and that's overwhelming. And then my nervous system is just so overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. but yet my expectation is I should be happy here. I should Mm -hmm. want to be in my home. I should feel free and happy in my home. And there are times when I'm not. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Yeah. And I've learned, I've learned from you and so many other amazing people I follow. It's like, I love my kids and I'm overwhelmed with my house. I am a good mom and my home gets messy. Right. So adding that and instead of should has really helped me. But yeah, to, to your first question, I definitely felt like I avoided being home all the time. 
And anytime we did have the kids on the weekends when I was working Monday through Friday, it was like, get out to the park, not only just because we like to get outside and it just keeps everyone, I think, in, in a better state, but I just didn't want to have to face the mess. I didn't want to have mm-hmm. to face the mountains of laundry. And it's just, I remember having, starting to feel these panic attacks come on when I was driving home from work. And I'm like, wait a second why am I panicking? I'm so excited to see the kids. I don't want to work all day. (laughs) I'm so excited to see the kids. And then I realized it was like the second I walked through that front door, I was walking into another full-time job, you know, dishes to be done. How am I going to make dinner if the counter is filled with junk? It's going to take me 30 minutes to do that. And I don't know what's for dinner, (laughs) right? All these different million spinning plates in the air at home. And so I realized that my stuff Truthfully, it does own us if we're not careful because we pay for our stuff long after we swipe our credit card at Target and long after we hit, you know, buy now on Amazon Prime. We pay for it with our mental health. There are numerous studies, which I discovered after the fact. I was like, this makes so much sense. Clutter-induced anxiety is 100% a thing. Think about your brain has to sift through all this information all the stuff sitting in your home and it has to decide what to do with all of it. And it's, it's so overwhelming to our brains, to our time, to our energy. And, uh, it's just it, physical health, our finances. I mean, you name it, there is not my relationship with my husband and my kids. Every little thing was impacted mm-hmm. by the stuff. And I think once I realized that that just made decluttering a whole lot easier for me. I moved past the, I don't have time for this. I'm a busy working mom. (laughs) I moved past all those roadblocks time, right? For most of us is a roadblock. I don't have time for this because when your why becomes so powerful, the how becomes so much easier. I, it was not a choice. You find the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There, that, that piece in there, I think is so important. And it doesn't have to be this all day event. It can be five minutes. And actually recently on the weekend, my partner was making, um, I think he was preparing lunch. And so I snuck off and did a little bit of a, a closed purge for sizes and nice. then moved that on. Right. But that was this five minute experience and it didn't have to be big. And then as I'm confessing this, I'm thinking about your program that I was looking at and oh my goodness, it's just gone from my main floor to my basement and I haven't addressed the bag yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, but why do we feel owned by our stuff? I think because deep down we, I think we attach so much emotion to it. Stuff really is neutral. Um, but when we start to buy, I mean, so many of us are stuck in this hyper consumerism state, mostly. I mean, there are lots of reasons for that. Part of it's just culture. I was actually reading an interesting study the other day about essentially our brains, you know, this reward system, this dopamine hit we get when we buy something, right? That reward system. It's like, we can't change the way our brains are. It's They've been that way for hundreds of thousands of years. But in the same breath, I'm thinking we are kind of pre-programmed to accumulate for the survival. And now we don't live in scarcity. So many of us are blessed to live in this abundance, right? We have so many resources at our fingertips, yet we were buying and consuming more. And as far as stuff owning us, I think it still comes back to the time and energy piece, especially for moms, right? If you feel like you walk home and you're instantly triggered, your stuff is probably owning you. If you feel like you can't sit down and relax, your stuff is owning you versus you owning that stuff, right? You can create a home filled with things, even if you have kids who love toys and mess, that is still supportive 
to you and is the refuge in the storm. The storm being everything outside of your control, daily chaos, stuff happening in the world that's awful right now. And um, I just want to empower the listeners that it is absolutely possible. It doesn't have to be perfect. And again, to your point, you don't have to look for those two-hour elusive time slots in a day that you'll never find. And if you can remove that, if only I didn't have the kids for a weekend, then I would get some decluttering done, right? Or if only I didn't work full-time, then I could make some progress. Or if only I weren't a stay-at-home mom or homeschool mom, (laughs) right? Remove that. And just like you said, five, 10, 15 minutes. And then slowly over time, you will start to feel like you will, like you, like you were owning your stuff again, right? Putting stuff where it belongs, literally (laughs) and figuratively. (laughs) I think there's this element here around uh, our generational experiences as well and what's being passed down. So when I think of some of like my grandparents or my nanny and the experiences they had growing up in the war and not having um, sugar, not having, you know, bread or butter, whatever it was, or they had to really ration that out. They were taught to save things. Mm-hmm. And I think that message got passed down. And then, so for me, sometimes when it comes to decluttering, I'm looking at something thinking, but what if, what if yes. I need to use this at some point? Thinking Could worst I- case scenario. Right. Rather than being mm-hmm. able to see that I can find a way to get what I need in lots of creative ways, if I ever need it. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's a big reason that's so many of our go-tos. I mean, think about it. That was a hundred years ago ish, great depression. My grandpa's 98, about to be 99. Like he, this is, he was born during that time, right? An incredibly tough time in the United States. And they are the same with food. I mean, that was a big thing. And right. My mom was like, you know, scrape, scraping every single thing out. And I, again, that's fine. Use all the cake batter. Cause I want a bigger cake. <laughs> but when it comes to handling stuff, the go-to question for many people is like, this could come in handy. And that's part of that scarcity mindset. And when you're stuck in there, decluttering becomes so much more challenging because we're thinking in a worst case scenario, The other piece there is the what happens inside of us right before we buy, right? So you're talking about the studies that show that we get the dopamine hits in our brain. It's a reward system. It's so exciting. And then you get it at your door and it's even more exciting. And I encourage my clients often to slow down and to ask themselves, what's happening right before you buy the thing? Right before you maybe take the kids to the toy store or you say, yes, we'll buy that. Or you're on your phone. What's the feeling right before? For many people, they'll say things like, they're bored, they're overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're stressed. Okay, tune into that, slow down, Mm -hmm. pause, take a breath, put the phone down and go do something else. But chances are that feeling is going, or that emotion and that internal feeling will subside, right? We know that our emotions do that over time. Yeah, actually I was in therapy with my therapist a few weeks ago and she said something interesting and I'm gonna butcher this and maybe you can help me. Help me with it if I do butcher it. She said like a feeling or emotion actually only lasts, I don't know what she said, three seconds or it was something so short. Maybe it was 30 seconds, Dr. Tracy. And she goes, it's the thoughts we have surrounding the emotion that make it feel like it lasts so much longer. Does that, does that sound about right? Yes. And what we know, I'll add to that is that if you are having a panic attack, that that feeling will come and go. You've got to give yourself 20 minutes. And when you think Mm. about the 20 minutes, can you get through 20 minutes? 
yeah, we all get through 20 minutes in some way. We spend lots of time scrolling our phones for 20 minutes. But if you can breathe, if you can work through something, you're going to feel the peak and it will come down. But yeah, absolutely. What we know is that what keeps the feeling, so that's Mm -hmm. the internal sensation and then that's triggering the emotion. What keeps that going so much more are the thoughts and then Mm -hmm. what we do outside of that. Even when I think of our kids, right? When they're having um, a tantrum or a meltdown and they're having big feelings, sometimes the things we do make it bigger instead of listening to them and helping them regulate it for themselves. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And from like a a stuff perspective, I think that aligns just the same, right? Whether you're trying to declutter, whether you're impulse shopping, that was a big thing for me too. I mean, I decluttered. I started decluttering, but I honestly didn't look at why the stuff was coming into my home because I didn't really want to change my shopping habits. I was in denial partially. And, um, you know, it just made it an uphill battle. And here's the thing. When we buy things, it never, we're never like, oh, this is clutter because I don't buy clutter. I only buy stuff I'm going to use, love and, you know, want forever. But is that really the case? (laughs) I think there are sometimes we think because we bought it, we need to keep it forever because we invested money in it. We should keep it Mm. forever. But we have so many, so think about all the seasons you've been through in motherhood, right? The kids grow, maybe your family grows, maybe you move into a smaller house. Maybe you go from working to not working. I mean, there are a million and one seasons. And with that, our stuff and the stuff we don't keep should also evolve. That's why I still, I still edit. I still purge. I still declutter. And some people look at me like I have three heads when I say that. (laughs) I'm like, no, this is a lifestyle, just like taking care of our mental health, just like working on our inner child and parenting and, you know, all these other things or physical health. It's the same. It's the same thing here. And so I think that's really valuable just to share. It's not a one and done. I I used to think, hey, if I just, just have the weekend without kids, I will be able to, you know wipe my hands of this and be organized and decluttered for at least a year. <laughs> I really thought that. And, uh, you know, I, I just turned that into 10, 15 minutes a day, small habits, consistency. And I tell you what, the time we put in to declutter now pays so pays massive dividends. In the short term, you don't even have to feel that. Think about how you felt after five minutes of going through your closet. I'd imagine you're like, oh, I feel better. Oh, getting dressed is going to be easier because there's less to sift through these things. Maybe they didn't fit. I think you said some sizing. It just wasn't right. Our clothes and our stuff talk to us. So when Mm -hmm. I had things that didn't fit, I walked into my closet in the morning and that pair of pants that was too small used to tell me, don't eat that cookie today, Katie, (laughs) or you should probably work out extra, Katie, right? It was like bullying me. And so it feels like such a release in so many ways to be able to let go. And again, that doesn't have to take hours, just five minutes here and there. I'm thinking of this pink dress in my closet and I wish I wore it. I wish I took the tag off and I hold on to it because I'm thinking maybe, maybe mm-hmm. next season, maybe, maybe something will change. Maybe I'll have a different accessory to go with it. And, and I think really internally, it bothers me that it has a tag on it and I just hold on to it. And we, we've also tried, to, um, my husband implemented this hack for me because I had a hard time letting go of some clothes I wasn't wearing to turn the hangers around. And so at the end of the season, if the hangers weren't turned around, I had to get rid of it. And ah, that dress is just sitting in there. It has so much holding. I'm going to go home and I'm going to get rid of it today. (laughs) So what what do you suggest to people? What, What would be the top thing that someone could do to release things when they do get stuck in that sentimental space? 
And I'm taking notes right here because this is me. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how long I held on to my daughter's clothes. <laughs> I think I think it boils back to what we started with. These feelings, guilt, oh, a good mom would keep the baby clothes. A good mom would keep all the artwork and have it organized in a keepsake box, a beautiful one. A good mom would dot, 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 right? And this guilt, well, am I a bad mom for letting go of my daughter's stuffy or what does that mean? So there's the guilt part of it, the emotion we are attaching to this completely neutral item, a blanket, a onesie. It's just, it's a onesie, (laughs) but we're attaching the emotion to it, which makes it more difficult. And then I think there's a huge identity piece when it comes to sentimental things, this loss of identity. And this is a big one for like getting rid of the last of the baby stuff for some moms and dads, right? Just the thought at letting go of our crib still like makes me tear up thinking about it. I don't know if we're going to have a third kid or not, but you know, like I'm not, I'm not, uh, not affected emotionally by stuff just because I'm, you know, I've practiced so much at letting it go. So that loss of identity, who we were a season of life and just think about, gosh, I, I wish I would have known the identity shift that happened when I became a mom and oh my gosh, it was so emotional and it was like a roller coaster. And so those emotions completely flood your brain when you're looking at a crib, again, a completely neutral item. Mm. And so good emotions, bad emotions, whatever, everything kind of floods back to you. So it, it can be hard to kind of almost feel like you're wiping your hands clean and moving on, even if some of it was grief and sadness that's attached to that item. Um, Identity loss, who we were, who we wished we were. Oh, I wished I could have done early motherhood differently. I think that all the time. And I'm sure when I face my last of my baby stuff, that's probably going to hit me. Uh, Who we wish we were, who we are. Uh, You know, there's that big identity piece. I don't want to hit home too hard, but I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah, I really resonate with that. And I think so many people will just be able to say, wow, this is identity. This is a feeling Mm -hmm. of grief and loss stirring up here and this old part of me. And then asking that question of how do I wish to move forward? What's meaningful to me in this time? Okay, Katie, I have so much work to do when I go home. (laughs) I'm going to keep adding in more 10 minutes. But what are your top five tips for the busy mother and woman? Consistency is more important than any strategy. I remember thinking, if only I had the perfect strategy, if only I had the perfect checklist, if only I had the right declutter book or right declutter guru, and hear me out, all of those things can absolutely 100% be helpful. But what's more important is sticking to something whether it be a strategy or a checklist that you can be consistent with. So work it into work decluttering into your schedule as your schedule changes, get your family on board, delegate, be comfortable, <laughs> delegate, uh, delegating and clearly and consistently reminding your family where stuff goes. So you don't have to feel resentful and feel like the stuff manager all the time and get them on board with decluttering. And one really great way to do that is by ha- having them, even if they're very little, um, or teenagers, have them sit with you while you declutter the kitchen appliances. Walk through out loud. Hey, I haven't. I bought this popsicle maker three years ago thinking we would make popsicles together, but we always buy popsicles at the store. So I'm going to donate this or I'm going to sell this and just bless someone else with it. Like so often we have these conversations in our head when we're decluttering, but we, our kids don't hear this. So how are they supposed to know when you know, when's the right time to declutter versus organize versus, you know, all these things. 
And so starting in a very neutral space can be really empowering for a kid and hearing that inner conversation so they can learn that life skill versus saying, I'm overwhelmed by your toys. I'm sick of your toys. You know, here's a trash bag, fill it up, <laughs> which can feel a bit overwhelming. Incredibly overwhelming. Um, yeah. And then as far as just getting started in the home, countertops are a great place to get started. We spend a lot of time in these main living spaces, kitchens, everything's so open concept. So you can be sitting in the living room <laughs> and see the entire mess in the kitchen, on the counter, on the tables. So start there and kind of objectively walk through your home as if you're a guest. This is a great place to start. So remove the judgment, remove the shame, pretend you're someone walking through your home for the first time, literally have a pen and paper out and go, Hmm, what am I seeing? What are, where, where are some clutter hotspots and what are some systems additionally I can put in to help correct this? Are backpacks continually landing on the kitchen table? Yes, they are. So do I have a spot? Do my kids know where backpacks go, right? Yes, no, yes, no, <laughs> and go through it. Maybe it's a matter of reminding them. Maybe it's a matter of lowering the hooks. If you've got kids who are three feet tall and the backpack hooks are six feet tall, they're probably not going to be able to hang up those hooks. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it's just very little nuanced things we can change, whether it's from an organization, organizational tool perspective, or like a coaching our kids or family perspective. So go through all the rooms in your house. And then I just like to start with the countertops, get, you know, set a timer, do 10 minutes, move, move stuff out of the piles, handle the mail, and just start to think what little systems can I get put in place, whether it's consistency, whether it's decluttering organization. I mean, there's so many different things we could bring into that. So many ways to get started. Katie, thank you so much for giving us your time here and for sharing your expertise. Please tell us where we can find more and what you have on the go. So come hang out with me on the podcast. <laughs> I love our podcast community. It's called the Maximized Minimalist. I just hit 1 million downloads earlier this amazing. year, which is crazy to say. Thank you. Oh, congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you. It's been a real treat. And um, I love Instagram too. So just like, I don't have as many amazing reels as Dr. Tracy as you do, <laughs> but I like to put out content when I can on Instagram and my handles, Katie Joy Wells. And I'll have all the links in the show notes. Katie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks, Dr. Tracy. What stands out for me from my conversation with Katie is the concept of small things frequently and really putting away our own narrative. The thoughts and feelings that we have inside of us are so good at derailing us from doing things that are important to us, whether it's around clutter, uh, whether it's around mess, or even just how we show up in our family around externalizing and blaming others for our own internal experience. Putting that narrative to the side can be really hard, so I would like to pause here and offer one piece of guidance that you could put into practice this week. So often people show up in my office and they are lumping themselves with criticism, or they might notice the hard thought that they're having and then criticize themselves again on top of that. We're so good at doing it. Here's what I want you to try this week. Whenever you notice that critical voice showing up, the narrative inside that says, do more, you're not doing enough, whatever that looks like, try tapping into self-compassion. And you can simply ask yourself, what would I say to a dear friend? And can I try saying that to myself? 
Kristen Neff, in her research on self-compassion, talks about the three elements to practicing this, which is first, acknowledging that you are in a moment of suffering. You might say something like, ah, this is one of those moments where I'm having a really hard time. The second piece is bringing on common humanity. Acknowledge that other people also struggle with these things. You are not alone in your struggle. And the third piece that Kristen Neff talks about in her self-compassion work is around offering yourself some kind of kindness, some kind of kind statement, like I'm learning to be kind to myself or I'm working to let this part of me go. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. I would love to hear from you. Click on the iTunes link click on the stars. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. Your reviews and feedback is what helps other people find this podcast. And also it lets me know what you think or jump into my DMs and say hello. Until next time, remember you are right where you need to be. Remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.